Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Kevin Hogan. Let's take a look at our top stories. A tough morning for traveling as the FAA was forced to issue a ground stop. Operations are returning to normal, but delays from the stop continue. President Biden is now facing a House Oversight Committee investigation. This into the classified documents discovered in an office he used before his presidency. Replacing income tax with a national sales tax. The House is set to vote today on a bill to make major changes to our tax system. A potential conflict of interest? We hear analysis on Pfizer's board member pressuring Twitter to censor a tweet about the superiority of natural immunity to COVID-19 over protection from the vaccine. A Pacific storm continues to bring California trouble. Flooding, rock and mudslides and power outages are just some of the problems. We take a look at the damage done so far. Flights are gradually resuming after being grounded or delayed today. The Federal Aviation Administration, or FAA, was scrambling to fix a system outage. Passengers were told to check with airlines for updates. The FAA says it ordered airlines to pause all domestic departures until 9 a.m. Eastern time today. The agency needed time to validate the integrity of flight and safety information. Flights already in the air were allowed to continue to their destinations. The FAA said it was working to restore a system that alerts pilots to hazards. It also notifies of changes to airport facilities and procedures. The system had stopped processing updated information. The House Oversight Committee has launched an investigation into President Biden. The issue is the handling of classified records from his time as vice president. Entity's Daniel Monahan has more on this developing story. They found some documents in a box, in a locked cabinet. The sensitive materials were found in a think tank office Biden once used in D.C. Representative James Comer has some demands for the White House and the National Archives and Records Administration. He wants documents and information related to their handling of Biden's classified document stash. And Representative Warren Davidson wants to see the process play out fairly. I do look forward to seeing how it's resolved, and I hope we have a clear, even standard that is broadly perceived by the public to be even-handed as well. Meanwhile, Nebraska Congressman Don Bacon criticized the Biden administration, implying a double standard. Living in a glass house, don't be throwing stones, right? Bacon says the search of former President Trump's Mar-a-Lago residence last autumn was overplayed. I think when you're going to do that to an ex-president, you have to be very careful. Former U.S. Attorney Paul Charlton says Biden's intentions regarding the documents will play a key role. Did then-Vice President Biden, current President Biden, know what he was doing was in violation of the law? He says such materials should have a transparent log. There is supposed to be a very clear chain of custody. The classified documents were found on November 2, 2022, just days before the midterm elections. But the public wasn't told of the existence of those materials until January 9th, two months after the elections took place. As for what the documents relate to, Biden says he's in the dark. But I don't know what's in the documents. I, my lawyers have not suggested I ask what documents they were. Comer requested all the documents retrieved from Biden's personal office at the Penn Biden Center. He is also demanding all internal documents and communications regarding the recovered materials. Across the aisle, California Democrat Congressman Pete Aguilar criticized the GOP's activities, saying they made a non-issue of Trump having classified documents. This is Republican hypocrisy 
at its finest. Comer is also demanding a list of all the people who had access to Biden's personal office at the think tank. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. The new Republican chair of the House Oversight Committee is looking into the Biden family finances. It's one of the first moves from Representative James Comer in his new role. He's asking the Treasury Department to provide bank activity reports for President Joe Biden's son Hunter and brother James. And Comer is also requesting the bank reports for several Biden family associates and their related companies. Previously, the White House dismissed such probes as politically motivated. Comer also wants some Twitter executives to testify about Biden's alleged influence over technology companies. In 2020, Twitter temporarily suppressed a story about Hunter Biden. A proposed bill would make changes to our tax system. House Republicans are set to vote on a bill to replace income tax with a national sales tax. Here's the story. The Republican-led House of Representatives is set to vote on legislation to abolish the IRS and replace the income tax code with a national consumption tax. Representative Buddy Carter is scheduled to introduce the Fair Tax Act on Wednesday. The bill would eliminate income, death, gift, and payroll taxes and replace the system with the national sales tax. Proponents say this plan would simplify the tax code and end the need for the IRS. Carter said on Tuesday, instead of adding 87,000 new agents to weaponize the IRS against small business owners in middle America, this bill will eliminate the need for the department entirely by simplifying the tax code with provisions that work for the American people and encourage growth and innovation. Carter had initially submitted the bill in January 2021, but it didn't move forward. According to Fox News, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy agreed to permit a floor vote on the legislation as part of an arrangement with the House Freedom Caucus to earn its support to become Speaker of the House. Eleven other Republicans are co-sponsoring Carter's bill. Just this week, the GOP-led House voted along party lines to reduce most of the money allocated to the IRS by Democrats in 2022. The White House criticized the decision, claiming that House Republicans' top economic priority is to allow the rich and multi-billion dollar corporations to skip out on their taxes while making life harder for ordinary middle-class families that pay the taxes they owe. Experts say it's unlikely the allocation of the money would be repealed since the initiative does not have enough votes in the upper chamber. The IRS has announced it sent out 12 million refunds, totaling nearly $15 billion after making corrections to taxes that were filed in 2020. The agency said it reviewed Forms 1040 and 1040-SR from the 2020 tax year that were filed before March 2021 or when the American Rescue Plan was signed into law. It made revisions to exclude up to $10,200 in 2020 unemployment compensation from taxable income calculations. Other corrections included adjustments to the earned income tax credit, recovery rebate credit, additional child tax credit, American opportunity tax credit, premium tax credit, and advanced tax credit. The IRS says taxpayers who are eligible for the unemployment compensation exclusion and whose 2020 taxes were not corrected by the agency should file an amended 2020 tax return. The new Republican majority in the House votes to create a select subcommittee to investigate the weaponization of the government by federal law enforcement agencies. It would have the authority to probe the federal government's expansive role in investigations on U.S. citizens. The panel would also have the power to probe how federal agencies communicate with private companies to collect information on Americans. 
Congressman Tom Cole said the new panel is modeled on the Church Committee, a U.S. Senate Select Committee in 1975 that investigated an abuse of power by U.S. intelligence agencies. Democrats have raised concerns about a provision that authorizes the committee to probe ongoing criminal investigations, saying it could be used to disrupt current investigations like those into President Trump and the January 6th Capitol breach. Republican Congressman Jim Jordan says the panel is about protecting Americans' First Amendment rights. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy is following through on his pledge to remove three Democrats from their House committees. Representatives Adam Schiff, Eric Swalwell, and Ilhan Omar are losing their assignments. McCarthy confirmed the move Monday. Schiff and Swalwell will be kicked off the House Intelligence Committee, and Representative Omar will be removed from the House Foreign Affairs Committee. McCarthy has the power to keep the two congressmen off the intel panel as House Speaker. A majority vote in the House will be needed to remove Omar. McCarthy promised a year ago to remove them if Republicans took control of the House. He repeated that vow during the midterms. Omar has been accused of anti-Semitism multiple times. Both former House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer have rebuked her for her statements. McCarthy tweeted that he removed her for, quote, repeated anti-Semitic and anti-American remarks. McCarthy said Swalwell can't get a security clearance in the public sector. Swalwell allegedly had an affair with a suspected spy from the Chinese Communist Party. Freshman Republican Congressman George Santos is defending himself as House Democrats file an ethics complaint in the wake of Santos's lies about his biography and resume. Congressman Richie Torres and Daniel Goldman, both from New York, announced Tuesday they are filing a formal complaint with the House Ethics Committee. They are requesting an investigation related to Santos's financial disclosure reports. Santos brushed off any concern about the complaint, saying he's, quote, done nothing unethical. Santos has faced growing criticism after admitting he embellished sections of his resume, including his past work experience and education. Federal prosecutors in New York are investigating Santos's finances. Congressman Matt Gates wants C-SPAN's cameras in the House chamber full-time. The Florida Republican filed a measure Tuesday to make it happen. Gates says having cameras rolling during all floor proceedings would allow greater transparency. Currently, all footage in the chamber is supplied and controlled by the House Recording Studio, which is a component of the House. Wisconsin Democratic Representative Mark Pocan plans to introduce similar legislation. C-SPAN had cameras in the chamber during last week's speaker race. Pocan called the coverage Oscar-worthy. Now we get some analysis on the latest batch of Twitter files that shows Pfizer board member Dr. Scott Gottlieb pressured the social media company to censor a tweet. That tweet was from a former assistant secretary for health on the advantages of natural immunity to COVID-19. Joining us now is Jeffrey Tucker, founder and president of the Brownstone Institute. He's also the author of Liberty or Lockdown. Thank you so much for making the time to discuss this important topic today, Jeffrey. Pleasure. One can argue that Dr. Scott Gottlieb has the constitutional right to object to another's opinions, such as those of Dr. and Admiral Girard, saying that natural immunity is superior to vaccine immunity. But can you give us an insight into any potential conflict of interest here on Gottlieb's part? Technically, he is a private sector actor at this stage of his career. Now, from 2017 to 2019, he was the head 
of the FDA. He left to become a board member of Pfizer and also a senior scholar of the American Enterprise Institute, uh, but also played a very, very big role in government during the lockdowns of March uh, 2020. Uh, which we know from Jared Kushner's book, so we know this for a fact. So he is a, a, occupies a very interesting spot, right? So he's not employed by the government at the time that he wrote to Twitter asking for the this post to be taken down, demanding that it be taken down. Uh, but he's a quasi-government actor and also a, basically working for uh, Pfizer at that time. So... Um, and and a former government uh, guy, and, and actually a real advisor to the government at that at that point. So this really does amount to uh, a, not just conflict of interest, but an aggressive act of uh, censorship on behalf of a quasi-state actor. And we've seen how Gottlieb responded to this. What do you think would have been an appropriate action for Gottlieb to do in response to Girard's tweet? Well, <laughs> as a normal private uh, person, a normal human being, what you might do is respond to the tweet itself and say, oh, I don't agree with you that, that uh, uh, natural immunity is superior to vaccine immunity. So what's interesting about this, however, is that, of course, you know, every competent virologist, immunologist, epidemiologist, or any, anybody who paid attention in ninth grade biology knows for sure that in the case of a common respiratory virus, natural immunity is going to be superior to vaccinated immunity. We all know that. We didn't need a test of that. We knew that going into this in the first place. So it wasn't anything about the tweet that was even slightly controversial. Of course, uh, government and Pfizer were all saying the opposite, They were, in, which is to say that they were trying to push a lie. So it became very important. This is why censorship uh, becomes really crucial to these people, because they have to suppress the truth. Zooming out here, we've seen what some have called draconian lockdown measures by officials during the pandemic in the name of protecting public health and keeping hospitals from being overwhelmed. How do Gottlieb's actions defending the government's decisions involving this while serving on Pfizer's board of directors play into this? Well, he's been very shady from the beginning. Back when on, on March 13th and 14th of 2020, when the Trump administration was trying to figure out a, a response to this thing, Jared Kushner decided that we needed to issue some... Uh, uh, guidelines for the American people that basically said if you if you own a, a building where people can congregate, which is to say churches or stores or even your house, uh, it needs to be shut. Uh, but to get some coverage for that or clearance for that or advice concerning that, uh, Kushner and his two associates within from the Oval Office called Scott Gottlieb personally and said, what should we do? Gottlieb's response is do something that is more severe than you think you should, uh, go further than you really want to, and then you'll have hit the sweet spot. Now, this was an outrageous suggestion because he's advocating basically the violation of every American's constitutional rights, every bit of them, you know, from, from the right to gather, the right to speak, and so on and so on. And uh, yet he just willy-nilly, without any basis in science whatsoever, suggested to uh, the uh, to Krishna that this is what they do. Intersection of a lot of topics here, vaccines, lockdowns, censorship. Jeffrey Tucker, founder and president of the Brownstone Institute, it is a pleasure speaking with you today. Thank you for your analysis. Okay, it's my pleasure. Thank you. The Defense Department officially ends the COVID-19 vaccine mandate for the U.S. military and National Guard, but it's not clear whether those discharged over refusing the vaccine can return. Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin wrote in a memo yesterday saying military members won't be separated based on vaccination status or exemption requests. 
He also said records of reprimands and such will be removed and reviews of individuals based on vaccination status or requests will stop. It follows a January 5th announcement that the department rescinded the vaccine mandate. All actions related to the mandate were halted by the Pentagon in late December, but more than 8,000 service members were already discharged for refusing the vaccine. It's still not clear if they can re-enlist. A Pacific storm continues to batter parts of the state. It has been knocked out power, shut down roads, and flooded some areas. Officials say there are at least 17 confirmed storm-related deaths. Entity's Jeremy Sandberg has more on the severe weather causing trouble for the Golden State. Millions of California residents are under flood warnings, and more than 200,000 homes and businesses are without power because of heavy rains, hail, and landslides. Thousands have been ordered to evacuate their homes. California Governor Gavin Newsom is warning people to stay vigilant. We've had less people die in the last two years of major wildfires in California that have died since New Year's Day related to this weather in California. These conditions are serious and they're deadly. While the storms are providing some relief for the state's drought conditions, they're also taking lives. Officials say at least 17 people have died from the storms that began late last month. Deaths include a pickup truck driver and a motorcyclist killed Tuesday morning when a tree fell on them on Highway 99. A five-year-old boy is still missing after being swept away. He and his mother were stranded in a truck in rising waters. A seven-hour search on Monday turned up only one of his shoes. Uh, it's at moments like this we just pray uh, for a miracle. The Ventura County Fire Department used helicopters to rescue residents stranded by flood water. 42 people so far. With the muddy water that we have in these type of flood conditions, it's very difficult to determine how deep it is or if the road has eroded underneath the water. The Ventura River reached its highest level on record at more than 25 feet on Monday. It's dropped to minor flood stage levels since then. Typically, it takes six inches of water to knock someone off of their feet and about 12 inches of water to float a normal car. The storm that began Monday dumped over a foot of rain at higher elevations in the central and southern parts of the state and brought more than five feet of snow to Sierra Nevada ski resorts. Rockfalls and mudslides have shut down roads and gushing runoff has turned sections of freeways into waterways. Swollen rivers swamped homes and triggered evacuation orders. The fact that we're not out of the woods, we expect these storms to continue at least through the 18th of this month. Uh, we expect a minimum three more of these atmospheric rivers in different shapes and forms depending on different parts of the state. More rain is forecast for Wednesday in Northern California and a longer storm system is predicted to last from Friday until Tuesday next week. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. A Tesla ended up in a swimming pool in Pasadena, California Tuesday after a driver mistakenly hit the gas pedal instead of the brake. The driver had two passengers, including a four-year-old boy. There's no word on whether anyone was injured. The vehicle crashed through a low retaining wall and plunged into the deep end of a pool next to a house. Police say workers at a preschool next door heard the crash, raced over, and jumped in to rescue the people from the submerged car. Police say bad weather may have distracted the driver, and they are still investigating. The area was experiencing gusty winds and torrential rains from the latest atmospheric river hitting Southern California. And still to come, Illinois introduces sweeping new gun control legislation, including the banning of semi-automatic weapons and so-called high-capacity magazines. 
and Sarah Huckabee Sanders is sworn in as Arkansas governor, she immediately bans the use of the term Latinx by the state government. More in just a moment here on NTD News Today. The state of Illinois has a new gun control law. Governor J.B. Pritzker signed the legislation yesterday. The new law bans the sale, manufacture, and distribution of semi-automatic weapons and so-called high-capacity magazines, including switches that modify legal handguns and automatic weapons. The ban goes into effect immediately. The law also grants new powers to the state's courts through firearm restraining orders aiming at preventing dangerous individuals from possessing a gun. The governor says the law comes as a response to the Highland Park shooting in his state, as well as the shootings in Sandy Hook and Uvalde. This is one of truly the strongest and best assault weapons bans in the entire country. And so the result, I think, shows that there was a willingness to compromise, but also a determination to get something major done. The new law means that long guns will be limited to 10 rounds per magazine. Handguns will be limited to 15 rounds. It also requires existing owners of semi-automatic weapons to register their firearms with the authorities. Current owners of such firearms can legally possess weapons on their own private property, as well as at gun ranges and other locations. Sarah Huckabee Sanders was sworn in as the 47th governor of Arkansas yesterday. Sanders took the oath of office in the State House of Representatives. The Republican becomes the first woman to hold the office. Sanders previously worked as press secretary for former President Trump. She secured last year's election with a strong focus on national issues. Sanders follows in the footsteps of her father, Mike Huckabee. He served as governor for more than a decade. I'm not interested in making history because of who I am. I want all of us to make history for what we achieve together over the next eight years. And as one of her first acts as governor, Sanders will disallow the use of the term Latinx in government documents and name titles through an executive order. Sanders justified the ban in her executive order, which states that ethnically insensitive and pejorative language has no place in official government documents or government employee titles. She added that the government has a responsibility to respect its citizens and use ethnically appropriate language, particularly when referring to ethnic minorities. The jackpot for the Mega Millions lottery has reached $1.35 billion. People across the U.S. lined up to buy the tickets on Tuesday. What would they do with the money? Travel, share with my friends and family, help out, you know, needy people. You know, just do the right thing with it. You know, I don't want to just blow it. First of all, 10% to my church. And then I got a list of people that need things. My family members, I would take care of them. Uh, Pay off a couple of mortgages and take care of some people. The Mega Millions drawing takes place twice a week on Tuesday and Friday nights. There have been 25 drawings over three months since the last time a player matched all six numbers and claimed the jackpot. This is the fourth time in four years that the prize has exceeded $1 billion. Regardless of how long it takes, the odds of winning the top lottery prize don't change, and they're formidable at one in roughly $300 million. No one won the jackpot on Tuesday night. The next drawing will take place this Friday. 
Authorities are investigating the theft of some artwork in Colorado worth nearly half a million dollars. The city of Boulder says five paintings were stolen from a locked truck outside a hotel sometime between December 14th and 15th. It was discovered the following morning that the padlock on the truck had been cut. This is what the paintings look like. They include View of the Taos Pueblo by Joseph Henry Sharp, Laguna Pueblo by Ernest Martin Hennings, Untitled Madrid Series No. 3 by Elaine de Kooning, Burnett's Barn by Jane Freelicker, and Taos Pueblo at Night by Younger Irving Coos. Officials have not released details on where the paintings were traveling to or from. And coming up, the death of a Chinese official shining a spotlight on Beijing's darkest secret. We hear from three experts. A Chinese spy who publicly defected from Beijing, losing his bid for asylum in Australia. We'll have the details soon when we return. Now turning our attention to Asia, Taiwan's military is showcasing their preparedness. The Taiwanese Air Force held an annual showcase drill ahead of the Lunar New Year holiday. Members of the 2nd Air Force Wing paraded a fleet of fighter jets and performed takeoff and landing techniques during the media display. One fighter pilot told reporters that all of Taiwan's fighter wings are always on alert. Taiwan's defense ministry said on Monday that they had detected 57 Chinese aircraft and four naval vessels operating around the island over the previous 24 hours. And on the same day, a Taiwan Air Force officer revealed details of an exchange course he took, a rare interaction between the island's military and NATO. There was no professional military training or coordination because it was an advanced course held by NATO, so its focus was on academic discussion and analysis of the international and regional situation and not on coordinated military operations or issues related to military cooperation. The Air Force Lieutenant Colonel said he attended a six-month course at the NATO Defense College in Rome in 2021 and returned to Taiwan in January of 2022. The officer said this is a normal exchange course that Taiwan participates in. The course involves students from NATO member states and their partner countries. There were seminars that focused on the situation between Russia and Ukraine, as well as the situation in the Indo-Pacific. Taiwan's defense ministry said he was not not the first officer sent to the Defense College. An obituary gives us an unexpected glimpse into the true nature of China's organ trafficking market and its sparking heated speculation. This followed by another CCP official dying in Beijing amid the COVID-19 outbreak. Entity's Xiaohua Li has the story. Over the years, he had struggled with diseases and had many organs replaced in his body. He once joked that many components are not his own anymore. That's what gave goosebumps to a number of Chinese internet users last Tuesday, written in an online obituary by a Chinese Communist Party official to commemorate Gao Zhenxiang, a former commissioner of China's Federation of Literary and Art Circle who died early last month. But the news of his death was only made public near a month later, without mentioning the cause of his death. China's internet censors immediately took down the obituary. But speculations about Gao's alleged extensive organ transplant history are heating up. 
It has long been heard officials replace organs and blood. Whose organs were they? It's widely known in China that senior CCP officials enjoy certain privileges. But it's the first time a CCP official has been revealed as having access to multiple matching organs, each of which could cost someone's life. China affairs analyst Tang Jingyuan calls organ transplantation a welfare within the ranks of high-level CCP officials. We simply calculate what is the total number of officials above the ministerial level in the CCP system, including those who are retired. Then such a large number of people, if they can enjoy such treatment and they can do it more than once, it will inevitably bring a problem. Where does such large organ supply come from? He adds that if there's no large secret pool of live human bodies within the CCP system, officials simply couldn't enjoy such so-called benefits. This matter is actually a taboo for the CCP, especially about organs transplanted to high-ranking officials. When the forced organ harvesting of Falun Gong practitioners was first revealed in 2006, questions were raised regarding organ transplant abuses by the regime. For decades, China has been accused of harvesting the organs of its citizens by force. The victims are killed in the process, and their organs are used in transplant operations, generating billions of dollars. China is doing somewhere between 60 and 100,000 transplants per year in their country, and they're not reporting them. And again, I think this isn't just a problem of ethics. This is a problem of bad medicine. A latecomer to the field, China currently has the second largest transplant program in the world after the U.S., but without a viable organ donation or distribution system. In the 2020 China Tribunal judgment, it said Falun Gong practitioners have been one and probably the main source of organ supply. Then they're essentially killed on demand for their organs. So somebody that has had, again, multiple organ transplants that lives to 90, that has had those transplants anywhere in the last 20 years, the likelihood is uh, this official received those organs uh, from the on-demand killing of, of, of innocent life. The longevity of senior party members have long been a subject of curiosity in China. But Hong He says as the virus rages in China, greater longevity saw its limits, even with multiple transplants. Around mid-November, there was an outbreak in a hospital in Beijing. These people have long been hospitalized there, have intensive care units and special people to take care of them. But when the virus broke out in the hospital, their advantage of being protected away from the society now becomes a disadvantage. Patients that, that have a transplant that end up in the hospital, um, as high as 28 percent of those patients will die uh, uh, from uh, COVID or from the viral illness. In a post by the American Lung Association, people with compromised immune systems are at higher risk for severe COVID-19, even if they get vaccinated. Those taking immunosuppressants for preventing organ transplant injection are considered immunocompromised. Xiaohua Li, NTD News. Trade relations between Australia and China have been strained for some time. Tensions between the two countries halted coal trade for years. Now the economic relationship between the two countries may be easing. Relations between China and Australia started to sour in 2018 after Australia barred Huawei and its 5G network. Diplomatic ties broke down further as Australian former Prime Minister Scott Morrison angered Beijing by calling for an inquiry into the origin of COVID-19. 
In October 2020, Beijing fought back with an unofficial ban on coal from Australia, claiming the imports failed to meet environmental standards. Australia was once China's second largest supplier of overseas coal, accounting for a third of China's imports. After the ban took effect, coal shipments from Australia to China fell to nearly zero in 2021 and 2022. Other products also took a hit, including barley, beef, cotton, wine, and lobster, among others. Of these, tariffs on barley and wine that were set to last five years virtually wiped out Chinese imports of the products. Tariffs on barley totaled more than 80 percent and up to over 200 percent on certain brands of wine. Chinese cotton mills were also banned from buying Australian supplies. Otherwise, they would face a 40 percent tariff. And on top of that, five of Australia's largest beef processing plants were barred from exporting beef to China in 2020. Meanwhile, Russia has become a substitute for Australia's coal supply to China. Winemakers in South Africa have seen demand boom, while barley exports from France, Canada, Argentina, and Ukraine to China also surged. U.S. cattle farmers also benefited from these measures. Relations between Beijing and Canberra are now thawing with the change of government in Australia. The country's trade minister, Don Farrell, earlier said he was willing to visit China to discuss easing restrictions on barley and wine. An Australian court has rejected a self-confessed spy's asylum application. He's now facing deportation back to China. And today's Tiffany Meyer brings us more on the story. A self-confessed spy who publicly defected from Beijing has been denied the right to stay in Australia. In 2019, Wang Liqiang spilled Beijing's espionage secrets on Australian primetime national TV. Four years later, he's now facing deportation back to China. To tell the truth, inside of me, I am extremely frightened. Wang claims to have been a Beijing-sponsored secret agent who undertook undercover spy work in Hong Kong, Taiwan and Australia. Beijing dismissed his claims as false and called him a convicted criminal. Wang was allegedly threatened that he could be sent back to China and killed if he didn't retract his story. Over the weekend, an Australian court rejected Wang's asylum application. That's over alleged fraud committed against Sydney businessman Philip Shu. This leaves Wang open to deportation, despite the tribunal admitting he's in danger. The denial of Wang's asylum comes after Australian Foreign Minister Penny Wong visited China a few weeks ago. She expressed wishes to restart Australian exports to Beijing after years of diplomatic tensions between the two. The British government has confirmed a foreign office minister has met with the legal team of a detained Hong Kong media mogul. Number 10 Downing Street also said Hong Kong authorities must end their targeting of pro-democracy voices. Anne-Marie Trevelyan, Minister for Asia, met with Jimmy Lai's representatives to discuss the publisher's situation. It comes after Lai's lawyers asked for an urgent meeting with Prime Minister Rishi Sunak. His team is keen for Britain to step in, as he's a Hong Kong and British citizen. Lai founded the now-defunct Apple Daily in Hong Kong, but was arrested in 2020 during a crackdown on the city's pro-democracy movement. He's fighting collusion charges under a Beijing-imposed national security law. The 75-year-old faces up to life in prison if convicted. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, don't hesitate to email us at news.today at ntd.com. Just ahead, Russia says its airborne unit has surrendered the town, has surrounded the town of Solyak.
Solodar in eastern Ukraine, the first big gain after months of retreat. The U.S. is sending tanks and vehicles to beef up NATO's frontier, as well as training Ukraine's army on the Patriot defense system. More shortly, here on NTD News Today. The latest on the war in Ukraine. The Kremlin says they have taken control of the town of Solidar and Ukraine's east, their first major gain after months of retreat. The Russian Defense Ministry says its airborne forces surrounded Solidar from the north and south while its air force struck Ukrainian positions in the town. Solidar is in the Donetsk region of eastern Ukraine. The region has been the focus of intense fighting for months. But Kyiv says Ukrainian forces haven't allowed Russian troops to break through the front line. It's not yet possible to verify the situation on the ground. Hundreds of U.S. military vehicles have arrived at a port in the Netherlands. There they await shipment to Poland and Lithuania later this year. The equipment is part of a U.S. effort to bolster NATO partners on the eastern flank. Among them are M1 Abrams tanks and Bradley fighting vehicles, also known as tank killers. They were sourced from the Fort Hood base in Texas. The vehicles will be housed in the port area before they continue east. Meanwhile, the Pentagon says Ukrainian troops will soon go through training on the Patriot air defense system in Oklahoma. I can confirm that training for Ukrainian forces on the Patriot Air Defense System will begin as soon as next week at Fort Sill, Oklahoma. The training will prepare approximately 90 to 100 Ukrainian soldiers to operate, maintain, and sustain the defensive system over a training course expected to last several months. The Patriot is one of the most sought-out defense systems. It targets aircraft, cruise missiles, and short-range ballistic missiles. In December, the U.S. pledged a Patriot battery to Ukraine as part of its military assistance. The Pentagon spokesperson said the battery would help the Ukrainians defend themselves against sustained Russian air attacks. A tragedy occurred at a major train station in Paris. Six people were stabbed in a knife attack. One of them was seriously injured. Gare du Nord is one of the busiest stations in Europe and the main gateway to Paris, London, and Northern Europe. Police have cordoned off the area. The attack took place at around 6 a.m. Central European time. The attacker was reportedly shot several times by a police officer and was taken to hospital with serious injuries. Authorities say the officer was off duty at the time but was allowed to carry a weapon. Motivation for the attack wasn't immediately clear. Prosecutors say a criminal investigation is underway. Also in France, doctors went on strike last week for an increase in their wages. They also called out poor working conditions and say the quality of health care has deteriorated. NTD's France correspondent David Vives has the story. Doctors took to the streets of Paris last week in protest, part of a 14-day-long strike. Several doctors' unions are demanding a wage increase. They also want to see improvements in working conditions. 70% of the demonstrators here are young women who have been working for four or five years and who are expressing their dismay and despair at not being able to do their work properly, even though it's an exciting job and one that serves the population. Amon says the quality of health care in France hit a low point. They poured billions into the hospitals without reorganizing the care system. And we saw that at the beginning of the pandemic, 
as the hospitals were overwhelmed. So the whole system in France is collapsing because it's being run by administrators who know nothing about this profession and who think that everything can be solved by protocols, meetings, and so on. We want more time to care for our patients. Some hospital care worker unions have also now called for strike action and protests over conditions. Health Minister François Braun said the industrial action couldn't come at a worse time, as hospitals deal with surges in COVID, flu and lung infections. The Figaro newspaper reported of 31 cases of patients dying while waiting in the emergency departments in the month of December. This GP who run rural practice describes his situation. Nothing works anymore. Consider that in the emergency room I saw patients there who called me. There were 70 people in front of them waiting in the emergency room. So it's between 14 to 20 hours of waiting. For the last two or three months, I've seen a lot of doctors who have retired. In my practice, I dealt with between 50 to 60 patients every day. I've never worked like this. I am exhausted. I can't take it anymore. The French president last week said he would take additional measures to reorganize the hospital sector. But the proposals failed to convince healthcare unions. David Vives, NTD News, Paris. France's Prime Minister Elizabeth Borne detailed yesterday an unpopular reform to the pension system. It pushes retirement age up by two years to the age of 64. The long-delayed overhaul is opposed by four in every five citizens at a time many are already struggling with a cost-of-living crisis. The heads of France's leading unions are discussing protests and strikes. The French government will also need to get the reform adopted in Parliament, where they do not have an absolute majority. With one of the lowest retirement ages in the industrialized world, France spends more than most other countries on pensions. Staying in Europe, the Czech Republic is set to hold a presidential election this weekend. The incumbent president is retiring. Three candidates are currently leading in the race. They are a retired general, a former prime minister, and an economics professor. The former prime minister is the current opposition leader. He's one of the country's richest men and is running with the support of the current president. The other two candidates are more pro-European Union, and they back the government's strong support of Ukraine. Voting is scheduled for this Friday and Saturday. No candidate is expected to win outright this weekend. In that case, there will be a runoff between the top two candidates. And just ahead, farmers are on the wait list for a personal flying vehicle. An Ohio company displayed the electric vertical takeoff aircraft at CES 2023. Volunteers in Australia fish out trash and other ways from Melbourne's waterways, but they're using a unique method, a four-pound magnet. Stay tuned for more on that when we return. Welcome back. Amazon has revealed plans to shut three UK warehouses. The move will affect 1,200 jobs. The company has launched consultations over the closure of the sites in Hemel, Hempstead, Doncaster, and Gourock in the west of Scotland. All workers at the sites will be offered roles at other Amazon locations. Meanwhile, the online technology giant has also revealed plans for two new major fulfillment centers. It said they will create 2,500 jobs over the next three years. 
An Ohio company showcased a personal electric aircraft at CES 2023 in Las Vegas. The vehicle is designed for farmers, landowners, and others in the agricultural industry. NTD's Andrew Thomas has more on the agrarian aircraft. Rise Aero Technologies Recon is fitted with six independent motors and six removable batteries. The Rise Recon has a top speed of 63 miles per hour and a maximum flight time of around 25 minutes. The use of electric motors in aviation for vertical takeoff and landing is essential because you can make very quick reactive times because you're not operating with a fixed wing, uh, you're operating with the propellers doing all your stabilization. And a, a gas motor wouldn't work with that. Cowitz says the aircraft is specifically targeted at farmers, landowners, and others in the agricultural industry. We're selling this into the agricultural world today, so the farm communities, ranchers, vineyard operators, orchard owners, people who have large property and need to be able to get places and have an actual purpose for what they're doing. The recon offers both convenience and efficiency. If you're a farmer and it's the rainy season and you want to go out and check on a blight, you have to walk it today because you don't want to drive your truck into the muck. So if you can fly out there and land a mile out into your field, it's a lot easier for you. At CES, Rise Aero Technologies said it had opened the reservation system for the recon. The aircraft is expected to cost $150,000. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Despite uncertainties about the economy, the ultra-wealthy are still spending money. Luxury car brands Rolls-Royce, Bentley, and Lamborghini report record sales last year. Rolls-Royce delivered more than 6,000 cars for the first time in its 100-year history. Lamborghini delivered just over 9,000 cars in 2022. That's a 10% increase from the previous year. And Bentley, which is a more practical option for the uber-rich, delivered 15,000 vehicles. That's a 4% increase from 2021. Rolls-Royce CEO says the acceleration isn't letting up because the world keeps producing billionaires. An abundance of garbage and other kinds of waste unfortunately ends up in the Yarra River in Melbourne, Australia, but one man is cleaning the city's waterways with a magnet. Entity's Andrew Thomas has the details on his clever magnetic method. Jake Robson is a different kind of fisherman. Instead of a hook, he uses a magnet. And instead of catching fish, he pulls up the metal waste that has been dumped in Melbourne's waters. You never know what you're going to find. It's not about finding treasure. I'm not looking to make money. It's about just cleaning out the waterways and, you know, helping out and doing my bit. Robson started magnet fishing after his incarceration. He was also recovering from substance abuse. I have taken a lot from society over the course of my life. I've done a lot of wrong things and this is my little way of giving back. Along the way, Robson inspired some of his friends to join and embark on their journey to recovery. I do also find it you know, very therapeutic. Yeah, with a mate, you know, both sober, throwing the magnet into the water, seeing what we can get. The magnet weighs four pounds. It allows them to pull anything from metal fences to bikes, and they do it all for free. Conservationists welcome their work. We rely on volunteers very heavily, and they're always welcome to get involved. You know, many hands make light work. Uh, it just means that we can get more material out of the water. Every week, Robson says he pulls hundreds of pounds of garbage out of the city's waterways, and he says he's looking into donating any profits from the scrap metal. Andrew Thomas, NTD News.
Still to come, top tennis players form the first executive committee of the Professional Tennis Players Association. The group vies for recognition at the negotiating table. The route for the 78th edition of the Vuelta a España cycling competition is revealed. The race takes place across three countries. We'll be back with more soon here on NTD News. Novak Djokovic and other top tennis players form the first executive committee of the Professional Tennis Players Association. They're fighting for a seat at the table with the sports governing organizations. Entity's Andrew Thomas has the latest on the new PTPA. The new Professional Tennis Players Association committee also includes co-founder Vasek Pospisil, Tunisia's world number two, Anz Jaber, and Poland's world number 11, Hubert Herkacz. They say it's a critical step forward to gain more negotiating power. Oh, yeah, it's a huge milestone. I think, you know, obviously time will tell, but I, you know, um, there's every indicator out there right now that this will be a huge moment for, for our, our sport. It's been more than two years since Djokovic and Pospisil stepped down from the Association of Tennis Professionals Player Council and announced the breakaway group. The ATP runs the men's tour and the organization and several players bristled at the move. But ultimately, I can see why they, they would want to keep the status quo and um, you know, ultimately have more control over, over the sport of tennis, which, which you know, from their perspective is, is totally understandable. Player associations are nothing new in professional sports. NFL and NBA players participate in labor unions, but tennis players operate as independent contractors. You know, if you've been a player in the past and you're able to, to relate to the to some of the these you know the player player struggles and and I think it's only only fair and and, and right that that um, players have have their association just as you know most other sports do. The ATP was set up by players in 1972, but now has a board including equal representation for tournament owners. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. And in New York City, an indoor skating rink with amazing views has opened its doors to the public. Visitors can now enjoy ice skating without the need to bundle up in the cold. The Edge Observatory deck in Manhattan's Hudson Yards neighborhood has opened an indoor skating rink 100 stories in the sky. Temperatures are near freezing outside, but the indoor rink is able to stay warm thanks to the use of a synthetic ice material made by Colorado company Glyce. As you can see, we have amazing views of New Jersey as well as Upper Manhattan. So while you're skating, you could see Central Park, you could see Times Square, you could see the Hudson River, um, all the way up to Yankee Stadium essentially and beyond even on a much clearer day. Um, so honestly, I can't think of a better view while you're skating than up here at Edge. The Edge Observation Deck first opened in 2020 as part of the Hudson Yards Retail, Residential and Office Complex. It was built atop a formerly disused rail yard on Manhattan's west side. The Edge says they plan to keep the indoor rink open through the end of the season. The route for the 78th edition of the Vuelta a España cycling competition was revealed at a ceremony in Barcelona, Spain, the race's starting point. The 2023 edition takes off from Barcelona at the end of August. It concludes in Madrid in mid-September after 21 grueling stages. The route features 12 new departures and 8 new finish lines while traveling through Spain, Andorra and France. 
Cyclists can expect 10 high-altitude finishes, five new to the race. Also included are two-time trials, seven mountain stages, six mid-mountain stages, four flat stages, and two flat stages with high-altitude finishes. Barcelona will host the first stage for just the second time in its history. Last year's race saw Belgian Remco Panevelvel claim a first Grand Tour title, ending Slovenian cyclist Primoz Rogelik's three-year reign. Immune strength is important throughout the year, not just during the cold season. So what can we do to improve it? Here's Gina Marie with Strong Mind and Body. I'm sure you've seen the videos telling you to eat this or drink that to boost your immune system. Nutrition does play a role in immune strength, but the relationship between food and illness risk is complex. Several factors influence immune strength and diet is just one of them. And there are still questions to determine just how much of a role food plays. One thing is for sure though, adding a couple of foods to your diet is unlikely to make a noticeable difference. When it comes to nutrition and immunity, it's wise to take a look at the big picture. Start by increasing your intake of fruits, vegetables, lean proteins, whole grains, legumes, and healthy fats. Examples include butter, ghee, lard, tallow, duck fat, coconut oil, palm oil, olive oil, sesame oil, and cod liver oil. This will help you to set a healthy and strong immune system. On the other hand, stay away from processed or fried food, sugary snacks and beverages, refined grains and seed oils. Examples include canola, corn, cottonseed, sunflower, safflower, soy, grapeseed and rice bran. These foods and oils can hamper your immune response and put you at greater risk of illness. And that is still only part of the story. Age and lifestyle can also play a role in immune strength. Older individuals are generally at higher risk of illness and a more severe response to infections. These include the flu, COVID-19 and pneumonia. The first line of defense for a healthy immune system is a healthy lifestyle. Every part of your body functions better when certain factors are embraced and others are rejected. Some of these factors include not smoking, eating a variety of fruits and vegetables, getting regular exercise, limiting processed foods, maintaining a healthy weight, getting good sleep, managing stress and drinking in moderation. If you look at the morning sky this month, you might notice a rare celestial body. NASA says a glowing green comet will make an appearance for the first time in 50,000 years. It will have streaking tails of dust and could appear fuzzy. The comet will be closest to the sun on Thursday and closest to the Earth between February 1st and 2nd. NASA says sky gazers in the northern hemisphere should be able to see the comet in the morning sky throughout January. People in the southern hemisphere should be able to see it in early February. The comet was first discovered last March. And that's all for today's program. I'm Kevin Hogan, NTD News, New York City.